his name. Amen. All right, we continue this vision series today where we've taken a break from walking through the book of James to remember and remind ourselves of who we are as the Crossing Church and what God has and is calling us to do and be while we exist as a church. So this is not just a social club with a bunch of people who like all the same things and like to hang out together, although we do enjoy that a lot. This is not just a group counseling organization. Life is hard. We all have problems. We're here to help each other, even though that also does happen. This is not just a nonprofit good works organization like ARC, Acts of Random Kindness, and we exist to just do a bunch of nice things in our city, although we do those things as well. We are a church, called out ones, ecclesia, a church of the perfect, sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is king of the universe, who came from heaven to earth as a babe, wrapping on human flesh, who lived a sinless life, the only sinless human who's ever, ever lived. And at the end of his life, he was illegally arrested, illegally tried, crucified naked on a cross like a common criminal. Now, why in the world would an innocent man be killed? Well, in one sense, it was because the Jewish religious leaders were so jealous of him and were afraid of him. And in another sense, it was because Rome wanted to keep the peace and quell down the riots. But in the truest and highest sense, it was because of what we read in places like Acts 4. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, all the guilty parties who killed an innocent man, they all assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. Whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. Peter speaks more of this in Acts 2 the Sermon on the Day of Pentecost. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. And this Jesus, unlike every other human who ever died, didn't stay dead, but rose triumphant on the third day, victorious, putting death to death. And you say, yeah, but didn't Jesus raise other people from the dead himself? Well, yes. And those people lived for a short time, and then they died a second time, which, honestly, I'm not sure that's a good thing or not. Uh, maybe it was okay. I'm going to err on the side. It was okay. They knew what to expect. The mystery's gone, but I'm, I, I wouldn't want to go through that myself. But whatever the case, they knew they were headed to paradise, being with the Lord. But Jesus was the first to rise from the dead and never die again, a picture of our future. When we die, our bodies lie in the ground or an urn, or if you're Kevin Bear, a cadaver farm, waiting for our king to return, and he's coming. And when he returns, those who have already died in Christ will rise first and instantly be transformed to these glorified, resurrected bodies that will never die again, that will never get sick, that will never get old, that will never creak or ache or hurt, that will never weep and sorrow, that will never hide in shame, that will never indulge in sin. That's where we're headed. And then those who are still alive in Christ will rise and meet them in the air and be instantly transformed into the same bodies. 
You can read about this in 1 Thessalonians 4. You can read about this in 1 Corinthians 15. And you say, that sounds nuts. <laughs> like, is that really going to happen? That sounds very science fiction-y. Like, we need CGI to make that happen, right? Well, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? It's a simple question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who died on the cross, was buried in a tomb, on the third day rose from the dead? If you can believe that is true, and it's what the Bible, the most reliable ancient book of writing we have, attests, it's what ancient historians attested to, that this man Jesus really did live, and his followers claimed that he rose from the dead. It's the best explanation for what happened in the first century. Trust me, I've explored them all. If you want to explore them all, let's have that conversation. It's the best explanation for what happened. So if that happened, then it's all possible. And it's all true. And Paul would say, if that didn't happen, that one thing, then it's all a joke. Our faith rests on the reality that Jesus rose from the dead. A person, not a bunch of rules to follow. Our faith rests on the reality of a resurrected Savior. And if that is true, everything is true and possible. All the promises of God find their yes and amen in Christ Jesus. All the promises of God come true because of who Jesus is. And so if that is true, then yes, what is coming, we can rest assured. It's, it sounds crazy. We don't know what it's going to look like. It does feel weird, but we can rest assured it's going to happen because all the promises of God that he has said will happen have happened. And so what he has said has yet to happen. We have confidence it will happen as well. Seriously, if you can believe Jesus of Nazareth really did live and die and rise, we can believe the rest of the Bible. We can believe that he was sinless and that he did miracles and that he taught with authority and wisdom no one had ever seen. If he rose and it's all true, and then, although it might sound and feel crazy, we can believe the rest is yet to come. And until that day, we are his people who have heard of him, believed in him, and his life lives in us. And we are given this task to enjoy life with him, to see ourselves as he has made us as new creations with new identities, that we are now his adopted sons and daughters, dearly loved always and forever, that we are no longer his enemies, that we are no longer just rebellious. And while we certainly can still sin and do still sin, we have this new man, this new woman, alive in us who has the ability to obey Jesus and his commands for the first time. And so we are these radically transformed people by Jesus who comes to live inside of us, makes us a new person, and we are called the body of Christ. We are the living embodiment of the Spirit of Christ in the world today. We are his hands, his feet, his mouth in the world today. It's us, that's it. It's the people of God wherever he has sent us all over the world. It's not the schools or the government or the nations or the states or the sports teams or the nonprofit organizations. It's the people of God wherever we are in all of those places. We have to maintain our identity as distinct as the church because we alone have this mission. And this is what it means to be a church of the living Jesus Christ. Yes, so we do enjoy life together. So, for example, it was a blast last night to be together as a missional community 
at our house, eating food, having drinks we all enjoyed, spending time watching the Alabama-Tennessee game. I won't say who we were cheering for, just who everyone was cheering for. Spending some time chasing kids around the house as they were hiding under blankets and trying to scare us. Like literally just enjoying life together, talking about whatever else was happening in our lives that was fun and good. And we were all tired last night because life is busy and some of us are 33 and a half weeks pregnant. And, and it was like fatigue was difficult. Like my, Jennifer laid her head on my shoulder, which just never, I was like, what's wrong with you? I'm tired. And so we, we shared, like we weren't hiding how tired and frustrated life was. We were just starting to talk about it and talk about, man, this week has been hard and life is hard right now and it's difficult. And what are some ways that we can do a better job of being family? What are some ways we can do a better job of loving each other? Let's talk about that because Jesus has made his family. And then we spent time planning how we could continue to love and serve the tired and frustrated workers at DCFS who are trying to love broken families and try to take care of broken families and try to take care of kids in broken homes. So, so we're doing acts of kindness and we're having fun together and we're caring for each other, but all of it flows from this new identity that we have in Jesus. So we can make Jesus known in our lives and through our lives to others. That's what it ultimately is about, not just those things, but how those things help us make Jesus known, make us experience Jesus, help us enjoy him and let others enjoy him. That's why we exist, so all people can find joy in Christ always by knowing him, by being changed by him through the good news of his gospel, his perfect, sinless life given for us in our sins. He takes on our sin and gives us his life, and this makes us new people who have new lives with a new purpose. And then we spend the rest of our lives living out this reality in communities with others like us. They're not like us because they look like us, but we, we can actually be incredibly diverse because the primary way we are like each other is because Jesus lives in us. So we can be old and young. We can have different ethnicities. We can have different amount of money in the bank. We can vote differently. We can have various levels of education. We can live in different neighborhoods, be from different places, even speak different languages. But we are family and we are one because we all have followed and are being changed by Jesus. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And it's everywhere. It's all over the world. It's continuing to spread far and wide as it has for thousands of years. And the crossing is just one version of what this looks like. And so every year we take this time in September, October to remind ourselves of this. And we actually do it more than just this one time. We try to do it throughout the year, what we do and why we do it so we don't forget. So we don't fall into the rut of just being a social club, a care group, or a missions help the city look better organization. But we remember it's about making disciples of Jesus. And we're organized as missional communities. We talked about this a few weeks ago to live out these truths and realities in everyday life. So if you're not in a missional community, if you're not engaging in a missional community, we would say, please do. This is not really the cross. This is part of what we do, this. But this is not really who we are and who we want to be. And we have these smaller groups called DNA groups, men with men, women with women, that allow us to drive these gospel truths, truths even deeper into our hearts and souls. Because the reality is, while Jesus is amazing and Jesus is everything, we are still very sinful. All of us. None of us have arrived.
And our hearts will continue to fight and rebel against the good work Jesus wants to do in us. And a lot of the time, we can fight it on our own. And we should fight it on our own. Because ultimately, you have, to, you have to fight. You're going to stand before Jesus alone. There's not going to be anybody with you when you stand before God to point to and say it's their fault. You have to re represent yourself before Jesus and give account for your works before Jesus. So you have to be able to fight alone. You can't put other people under you like a crutch and depend on them for everything. You have to be able to walk this out. But most of the time we can fight on our own, but we can't just fight on our own. We need each other. We need each other to come alongside and pick us up when we're weak or tired or we just want to quit trying. We need each other to help us swim when we just want to float away into sin and nothingness. We need each other to help us remember these truths so that we can go back and fight the battles. We also, as Joseph helped us to see last week, gather on Sundays like this on the Lord's Day and the spirit of his fathers who have done this for a couple thousand years to remember his resurrection and remind and encourage each other that he is alive. So let's go and, and share this life with others. And we also gather on the Lord's Day to, to, to be reminded and to be taught to obey what Jesus taught us to do. So passages like Matthew 28, all authority has been given in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And that's what this time is about. Training and equipping and teaching. This is what Jesus has said to do. Go do it. Like we are described in the Bible as a people who love Jesus and therefore we love his commands. We don't bristle at the commands of God. I don't want to do that. I hate that. I hate him. No, we have hearts that have been transformed. We love his commands because we know his commands are how he's designed us to best live. How he's designed us to best function in this world. It's how he's ordered things to be. If we do life his way. Because obeying his commands is life as God has designed life to best work. Now, one day in the eternal state, we will see and enjoy the perfect manifestation of this. But in this world that is broken and cursed by sin, we can still see the beauty of God's kingdom by obeying his commands. But in this broken and cursed and sinful world, it doesn't guarantee life is easy and we won't suffer. Because we're not home. This is not home. This isn't supposed to feel like home. It's supposed to hurt. It's supposed to feel not finished, uneasy. We don't belong in this world. We're made for another land. So when we grieve death and death feels like an intruder, that's how it should feel. Death does not belong in this world. We weren't, we weren't created for a world where death would be a normal thing. When we grieve the sorrow and brokenness and injustice in our world, we should. Doesn't, doesn't, we're not made for that. When we grieve how hard life is, how hard work is, work is supposed to be hard because of the curse of sin. When we're tired and we're frustrated and our bodies hurt, yes, that's what life is supposed to be like in this world. But we grieve it because it's not what God wants for us. All of that is to be expected. Now, this world's amazing. God's creation is amazing, but it's cursed by sin. It's hard. Marriage is hard. I feel like every day, either me or Jennifer get another message from another person that we know who needs to talk, who's struggling. It's unbelievable. It feels like every marriage that we know is under attack. Satan wants to destroy and divide and hurt. 
Relationships are hard. Work is hard. Go back to Genesis 3. It's always been like this. But God has given us this entity called the church to help. And within the church, he's given structures and organizations and gifts and leadership and all kinds of helps to help us, which is why we need this. We need each other. You, this is not optional for you. This is not something that you can just check in when you feel like it to assuage your guilt or your shame and make you feel better for a little while. This is not a place for you to just come and pay penance for the bad things you've done. This is essential to who you are as a human being created in the image of God, recreated in the new creation that is Christ. It's essential to us. Look at Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. He, gave himself, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints, which are all Christians, we're all saints, for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Here's th that passage could be um, dug into. I don't want to say unpacked. Nobody likes that word anymore. could be dug into and exposited for a long time. There's so much truth in there and goodness that it's essential to our understanding of who we are as a church. If the church is a social club, then sure, check in and out. Because there's other social clubs as well that are, could be more fun. If the church is just a care group, then just check in when you need the care group. If you don't need the care group, then go do something else with your time. Or you may find a better care group. If the church is just do good works, then do a few good works, feel good about yourself, and then go do whatever you want to do until you feel bad about yourself, and then come back and do a few more good works, feel good about yourself, and just keep going back and forth. But if this is the church, how do you avoid this? How do you live without this? This is essential to who we are as recreated creatures in Christ. Working together, these apostles, apes, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, working to equip the saints for the work of the ministry to build the whole body up until we reach maturity. Because it needs all of us, this whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament. You are essential to be one of these supporting ligaments. Essential to be one of these tendons, one of these cells or, or veins or arteries that provide life, that flow to one another and help each other. If, if one of your arms takes a day off the rest of this week, your whole week is going to be terrible. Your whole body's going to hurt because your arm hurts. And if one of the members checks out, the whole body is affected. We're all working together to build the whole thing up in love, in love as each individual part does their part. That's just my introduction. <laughs> just kidding. Not really, but I'm going to go really quick. We're focused on the leadership structure God's given the local church. That was my assignment for today. <laughs> Primarily the two offices of pastor, elder, also in the Bible known as bishop, overseer. We've said before, we tried to go with bishop in the early days, but no one liked it, so we've gone with elder. 
Pastor was just such a common term in our area that everyone thinks they know what a pastor is, so we thought elder was a little bit better. Um, and deacon, two offices, pastor, elder, or deacon. And those are important. But in talking about that, don't lose sight of the fact God has given the local church all of these gifts and leadership abilities, apostles, prophets, evangelists, past prophets, uh, pastors, teachers, to help grow the entire church up. Yeah, there will be specific people in those roles of pastor, elder, deacon, sometimes even vocational ministers or bivocational ministers, but these giftings can also be seen in every church member. Some of us will be more apostolic, this passion to be sent and spread the gospel to new places. Some of us will be more prophetic, to speak truth from God's word into life and culture. Some of us will be more evangelistic, gifted to share the gospel. Some of us will be more pastoral, shepherd people through life. Some of us will have teaching gifts to take truth and help people understand God's truth. And all of, this, all of these in our leaders, be they elders, deacons, or even within missional communities, fully employed, developed, and unleashed, all of that works to see the body grow and mature and develop. And a healthy body grows. A healthy body grows. Not just spiritually in health, but numerically. Because this is what Jesus said his church would do. I will build my church. My church will grow. I will reach more people. Light will spread into darkness. The kingdom will expand. It's been doing for 2,000 years. So you could hear a sermon on pastors and deacons and think, well, I can take this Sunday off mentally. But the reality is every member should be asking, how am I serving? How am I leading? How am I helping grow toward maturity? How am I doing my part as a member of this church? Every single member bears that responsibility for each other, for the health of the whole. And we planted a church in a culture filled with churches that struggle with membership as spectatorship. You buy a ticket, you sit in the sands, and you watch the professionals play the game on the field. And man, we're, we're cheering you on. You go, go pastor, go leader, go missionary, do your thing. Where's the popcorn? Where's the beer? Where's nachos? I'm just enjoying myself. I'm cheering you on while you do the work. That's the typical church environment in our culture. Or membership as consumers. It's like finding a new restaurant. As long as you're providing an environment that I enjoy that's good for me, I'll keep coming. But if you don't meet my expectations and preferences, I'll go find a better option. But that is not the church of Jesus Christ, and that is not who we want to be. And we continually fight and work to kill that, to kill that desire inside of us, because it's all in us. It's all in us. It's in us, too, as, as pastors and elders. We're all in the game. We're all on the field. We're all engaged. We're not consumers of preferences, so everyone's battling for their own preferences to be met. We are laying down our preferences to serve others. But someone does have to lead. And while Jesus is the true senior pastor of this church and all churches, we are following him. He does appoint specific people to fill those specific offices of pastor, elder, and deacon. And we have a bunch of sermons we've done before and a bunch of specific processes that we've spelled out for men who aspire to become elders, which is a noble thing, and men and women who aspire to be deacons, which is also a good thing that our church needs. And we can post those uh, on Workplace. But more than that, Think through why God has given these specific roles to the church. So Acts 6 is kind of where all this began to develop, these two distinct roles. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews, the Greek Jews against the Hebraic Jews, Hebrew Jews, that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The Greek Jews, widows, uh, 
the widows of the Greek Jews were saying, hey, we're being slighted here. Y'all are taking care of just the Jewish widows, not us. Well, the 12 summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up the preaching of the word to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Well, this proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenaeus, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The elders are the servant leaders. The deacons are the leading servants. Elders and pastors lead the way. In this case, the apostles, as represented in that passage, lead the way in preaching, teaching, praying, as we see in Acts 6. So elders, pastors lead the flock, protect the flock, feed the flock, care for the flock, which are roles primarily carried out through rightly handling, handling the word of God. Teaching, guiding uh, to the teaching, guiding others to teaching, encouraging the understanding and application of God's word in the lives of our people. So it can be teaching like this. It can look like this, but it's not all that it is. It's also biblical counseling, recommending good books and resources, helping ensure that God's word is guiding and spreading in our missional communities and DNA groups pointing our people to other places and resources to feed your souls. Like all of God's word in your life should, should not and can't just come from us doing this, please. This is very little. This is 30 minutes uh, once a week. Feeding yourself through God's word, feeding yourself through other teachers of God's word, reading and learning from other Bible teachers, all so important. L learning the Bible through each other, community. But we also are on guard against wolves and false teaching that will come up. There are some people who teach the Bible that if you would mention their names to one of the elders or even a lot of members in this church, we would just kind of like, you're reading what? You're listening to who? Let's talk about this. And we'd have a conversation uh, with you about that because that person doesn't preach the gospel or they preach a false gospel or they hide the gospel in, in their own personal social causes or whatever. So be careful. That's part of protecting the flock from false teaching. But most of that protecting the flock isn't from false teachers out there, but most of the protecting the flock is from the lies that we are prone to believe, from our own flesh. We're, we're, we're our own best false teachers. In our own flesh, we believe lies about God. We don't believe truths about God. That's, that's the main battle for most of us. Lies from the enemy that are, he's using to currently work to destroy you. Now, that's a very short synopsis of the role of elder pastor. We think it's just preparing sermons. It is, but it's so much more than that. Honestly, this is one of the easiest parts of what a pastor or elder does. Um, it's much harder to have conversations with members of the flock who are struggling and to fight for what's good and right and are being led astray by sin and sorrow. Like, I can easily preach a sermon. Nobody's talking to me up here. You're hopefully listening. It's just me talking, really. Hopefully, entrusting the Spirit and the Word are doing work, yes. But to sit down and grieve and weep and to hurt with you and not be able to fix it because it's just broken. And it's not even fixable in any short amount of time. It's going to take a lot of work and a lot of time. And so we all just have to run to Jesus and ask for his help. And find help in the word 
but wrestle to believe it because it's hard. And then deacons lead in serving so the elders are freed up to lead. And you see from Acts 6, the deacons focus on like administration and physical needs and the unity of the body. The church is being torn apart along the Jew and Gentile lines and their service would help unite the body, but also free up the elders to focus on the ministry of the word, which doesn't mean a deacon does everything so the pastor can spend 30 hours a week writing one sermon. You don't need 30 hours a week to preach a sermon. I can promise you it's not that good to need that much time. But they work together in leading the church. And honestly, this is an area on our, in our church where we need to work on. This is an area of need in our church. Uh, more leaders developed and in more places with more structure to support the obvious life of the church we are currently, currently experiencing. And the life of the church that we want to experience as we reach more of our city. The life and growth we experience as a church is something only God can do. Only God brings the growth. First Corinthians 3. The life and growth we experience is something God does. He makes this happen. But we need a certain amount of structure to support that growth. A certain amount of organization. Too much structure and you'll suffocate the life. But not enough structure in the growth and life that we do have will just kind of languish and feel unused. We've always erred on the side of little structure, but we need to get better at that. So help us. Pray for us and help us as we have those conversations. Uh, a lot of you are ready to go, and we want to unleash you. We're, we're trying to figure that out. So help us figure that out. What is all this in place to happen? Verse 7, so the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. It's always back to that mission and vision. Everything we do is so the word of God, the gospel of Jesus would spread, so the disciples of Jesus would increase and more people would be obedient to the faith. So the kingdom of Jesus would spread. Anything that helps that happen should be on the table as potentially something we'll do. And anything that hinders that from happening should be on the table as something we should potentially cut. Because that's what we want to see accomplished. Whatever it takes to get there, let's get there as we're staying faithful to God's word. So what is your part? What is your place? Simply ask the Spirit, how is he speaking today? Is he affirming the good work of Jesus in you? Is he saying to you, you are mine. I am yours. You have a relationship with Jesus, so rest in that. Be at peace. Your sins are forgiven. You are a dearly loved son and daughter of your Father in heaven. You don't have to question your salvation. You can enjoy your salvation. But if the Spirit is speaking to you words of conviction about that, I don't, I don't know that you're really mine. You've never truly trusted in Jesus. You've just been religious. Your heart's never really become captivated by Jesus. You've never come alive in Christ. Then let's talk. Let's have that conversation. You, you, you don't have to. I mean, the, the, it's a work of God. It's not our work. We're not trying to make something happen in you. It's a work of the Spirit of God. So if he's calling you to salvation, you say, all right, I believe. I know I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I believe in Jesus. Then Christ is coming in and making you a new creation right now. It can happen just like that. And maybe it is for someone. But if you want to wrestle with some stuff and you have questions, you're not sure, then we're down. Let's do that. Let's do that today. Let's, let's talk after the service. Uh, basically, anyone in this room would be willing to do that with you. So find somebody. But then, apart from that, okay, what does it look like to be a member of the Crossing Church? What does it look like to be a part of this work that Jesus wants to do in us and through us to our city and beyond? What does it look like to be a part of a missional community or DNA? Let's have those conversations as well.
Jesse would love to talk to you about what it looks like to be in a mission community DNA. I'm just going to send everybody to Jesse. How about that? He's signed up. The guy with the hat. Well, yeah, the guy with the hat. Let's pray and thank Jesus for all these good things. Jesus, thank you so much. This is who you are. This is what you've come to do. And we, by your grace, not because we deserve it or have earned it, we don't. We are sinful from the word go. But by your grace, you have given it to us so that we could have life in you and we could enjoy you and we could know you and we could rest in all the good work that you've done and our lives could just be centered around how can other people get in on this because our entire culture is hopelessly broken apart from Jesus. Our entire culture is hurting. We're hurting. All through this room, there are people hurting from relational issues and scars from their past and struggles in life right now. And we have Jesus. And our entire city is filled with people who are hurting in innumerable ways who need Jesus. So Jesus, thank you for what we get to enjoy, but it's not just for us to enjoy, it's for us to share. So show us how we can organize our life to make that happen. Convict us of sins that get in the way of that, our selfishness, our desire to just waste our time and waste our lives on indulgences and reorient our hearts and our minds to what you've really created us for and why you've created us and why we're still alive and why we're still here. God, help that to be true of us, the Crossing Church, for the glory of Christ. And I pray for anyone here who's struggling with salvation, who doesn't know if they know Jesus, that today you would speak words of life to them, words of hope, that they can be forgiven and they can know Jesus and they can follow him and be one of your kids. So let that happen in whatever ways we need to help. Show us how we can do that. We pray in Jesus' name.